of athletics. Athletes from time to time end up getting injuries. Torn ACLs, MCLs. Baseball pitchers throw they throw out their tendons and their arms and they have to have surgeries to repair that tendon. Then they have to go through a rehab process. And then there comes that fateful day when they, have to, they step back out on the field because it's game time. Just before the doctor, the, before they go in to cut my head open, that man told me, he said, now listen, we are going to be in your brain and we're going to be pulling stuff out and moving stuff around and we, I need to know what is important to you. I'm like, this is, is this a multiple choice question? I mean, can I just check all the above? And in honesty, here's how I responded to that man. I said, sir, I have spent the better part of my life studying the scriptures and trying to articulate the truths contained therein. That, sir, is important to me. With that having been said, it's game time. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And the 13th chapter. And I want to direct your attention to verse 44. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your finger on verse 44. Matthew 13 is a passage of Scripture that records some seven parables about the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. The kingdom of God in other, the other Gospels is the same as the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. A par- Let me tell you what a parable is. A parable is a story. Literally, the word parabole means to throw alongside. So, so when Jesus taught in parables, he's trying to teach us something by giving us a story that comes alongside and illustrates and explains. It's a, it's a way of connecting in, in a, almost a tangible way with what Jesus is trying to articulate. And here in the 13th chapter of Matthew, there's seven of these parables... And each one of them are related to the kingdom of God. They explain some dimension, aspect about the kingdom. At times, it's it's about the kingdom is something to possess. At times, the kingdom is something that you you enter into. Uh, There's a parable in there about... uh, a mustard seed, how it starts out, the kingdom starts out small, and then it dominates. Um, there's a parable in there about how it spreads. 
there's a, there's a parable um, when, when he's talking about um, uh, the the seed that that it grows by itself. The kingdom of God has a power in and of itself. So each one of these parables is is a mine to be plumbed, um, so that we have a greater understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, this parable that we are going to deal with today, Matthew thirteen forty four, is about the worth of the kingdom. Notice what, notice what the text says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man, a man finds. And then for the joy over finding, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field so that he might possess it. So this is about the value of the kingdom of God. And by the way Jesus tells us the story, what he's telling us, that the kingdom of God is more valuable than everything that you will ever own. Not just what you have today, but the totality of your life, everything that you accumulate, everything that you spend money on and and you amass to yourself, what Jesus is here saying to us is that the kingdom of God is worth more than all of that. Evidenced by the fact that this man, when he saw that kingdom, went and sold everything that he had. Now, we're going to move, the, the rest of our time is basically going to be broken down into, first of all, trying to give us a little definition of the kingdom of God. Then we're going to talk about its value, and then we're going to talk about its hiddenness. Because it's, it's, it's hidden here. Alright, so let's, let's do a little definition. Now, you have to understand how limited we are at this point. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke records that after the resurrection of Jesus, he spent 40 days... Teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. Forty that Jesus spent forty days talking about the kingdom of God. Then when you get to the end of the book of Acts, Luke will record that Paul spent two years imprisoned in Rome in his own house, and people were flocking to him for two years, and guess what he was teaching them about? The kingdom of God. Jesus, 40 days. Paul, two years. Today, I've got about, I've got about 20 or 30 minutes. Now, if we were to put this into to, to modern relative perspective, I get a tweet. I, I've got, I've got 140 characters. To tell you about the kingdom of God. Thus, the Spirit of God needs to, <laughs> to inundate our effort. So the kingdom of God. What is it? Well, first of all, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a realm or a dimension in which a king rules. Everything is according to his standard. 
That's in essence what a kingdom is. And it involves a king. And our king is Christ. And his rule, not just in the earth, though it has that dimension, but in our hearts. Alright, so if I had to tweet a definition of the kingdom of God, here's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the Lord's Prayer. Alright, so in the Lord's Prayer it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is in essence the expression of the will of God not just in the earth, but in our life. And what Jesus is saying is that is more valuable than everything you got or will ever have. So what is so what what is that what is the kingdom of God? It is the will of God being done in earth, in our hearts, as it is in heaven. That is priceless. So that's something about that. So this Jesus is telling the story. This man finds a treasure in the field. It's the kingdom of God. What is it? It's the will of God being done in our life. So what what really is so valuable about the kingdom of God? How do you begin to value it? Well, let, let me at this point... Uh, say something about valuation. You see, there are different ways to value things. There is what we would call relative value. And that is where the thing is not valuable in and of itself. It's valuable based upon other factors. Here's an example. You, You know, baseball cards. Right? There are baseball cards, which is basically a two, maybe a penny's worth of paper. It's got a picture on it. And yet, there will be people who will trade and sell those things. There are some of them out there, a million dollars. Can you imagine writing a check for a million dollars and then coming home and your wife say, What'd you buy? What did you write a check for? Uh, this baseball card. I can tell you that is not going to be a good night. <laughs> or the wife comes home from Shelbyville. And I wrote a check for $50,000 a day. What? For what? Well, there's this great antique. And they're delivering it tomorrow. You see, antiques have relative value. All right, so, there, so, so there's a way to value things in a, in a relative sense. That is not how the value of the kingdom of God. There, there, another way to value things is what we call intrinsic value. And the thing that I want to note about intrinsic value is this. It is, the value is not added to it attributed to it, it is valuable in and of itself, and its value is there even if we do not recognize it. 
And that is the type of value that we have in the kingdom of God. It is an intrinsic value. Its value is related to itself. And it remains valuable even if we do not recognize it. So what is the kingdom of God? Again, to tweet it out, the Lord's Prayer. It is the rule, the will of God being worked out in my life. And it is has, a, has an intrinsic value. But oddly enough, in the parable, what, what happens? Well, let's, well, before we get that, let me, let me finish up with this about the value. So, what is the value of the kingdom of God? Well, let me, let me pose a couple of questions. Number one, let's talk about forgiveness. Why, why talk about forgiveness? Because in the kingdom of God, there's forgiveness. Because of the king. Because of the activity of the king. It's what we sang about just a few moments ago. So, let me ask you something. How do you value forgiveness? Well, let me ask you this. Ask that wife. Ask that husband. Ask that person who has been seeking forgiveness for years. That parent seeking the forgiveness from a child. Or a child seeking forgiveness from a parent, ask them, what would you give to hear, I forgive you? The preciousness of those words, the release that comes in that moment, to know I'm forgiven. If you can quantify the worth of forgiveness... By simply asking the question, what would you pay to hear you're forgiven? Then you'll have some insight into the value of the kingdom of God. Or what about peace? The kingdom of God is is a place of peace. Ask that desperate soul caught in a darkness of desperation who cannot find a single ray of hope, what would you pay to see a sunshiny day? To wake up in the morning and sense the peace of God in your soul. Listen to, what, listen to how they respond then you'll know something about how valuable the kingdom of God is. And we could go on down the line and talk about all of the dimensions of the kingdom of God and what it brings and and then scrutinize its worth at each individual point. But now we, we, we move on to to explore its hiddenness. Well, one more thing before we get there. Oh, did I tell you I had a brain tumor? 
Sometimes this is brain's getting kind of back in the groove of it. All right, you got your finger on Matthew ten forty four, thirteen forty four. I'm sorry. All right, all right. Now here's before we leave this text. Here's something I want you to understand. What your finger is on right there is not a task to be performed. It is not a duty to be undertaken. It is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. What you have your finger on is not a task, it's a treasure. It's not a duty, it's a delight. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity to see something that will enrich you forever. Now, while your finger's right there on that, let me try to to drive that point home. You've all seen pictures of pirate maps, right? And, And on that pirate map, there is a big X, right? What does that X stand for? The location of a great treasure. Well, right where your finger is right now, that verse, you know what that is? That's a big X. It is, it is a map. It is a, it's telling you where there is a great treasure. And you will do well to seek it out. Because when you find it, what happens? What happened to the man in, the, in, in our story when he found the treasure? He got motivated. It says he went for the joy, the joy. That he beheld in the treasure. That's what motivated him. It provides its own motivation. If we can see the treasure, you don't have to worry about duty, you don't have to worry about tasks. It's got a motivation in and of itself. But now we do note that in the story that was hidden. And you have to you do have to ask the question, well, how can something so valuable be hidden? Why doesn't everybody see this if it's all that great? If I had more than a tweet space, There's there's an avenue I'd like to go down, and it has to do with the cross. But I don't have that space here. So what I want to do is I want to introduce not a a parable, but an actual event that occurred in the life of Jesus that comes alongside of this parable very nicely. And through a comparison and contrast between the parable and the actual event, there is much to be learned. So, Matthew 13 
is a parable. It's a story that Jesus is telling us. In Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 is not a parable. It is a real life event that occurred that when brought alongside of Matthew 13:44 where the comparison and contrast yields much for us. All right, Mark chapter 10. There is, the heading of your Bible probably says something like this, like rich young ruler. So there's a, there's this guy who's looking for something. This is real this is real time. And he approaches Jesus. And he begins a conversation with Jesus. But at the end of the conversation, this guy, if you read the text, goes away, not with joy in his heart, but the text says he goes away grieving, goes away sad. And ironically, you know what was causing his sadness? In Mark chapter 10, it says because he had a lot of stuff. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to us, right? Because for a lot of us, what makes us happy? A lot of stuff. Well, maybe it won't. So, you've got this, this record of a real event, Mark chapter 10, brought alongside of this parable, Matthew 13. And I, I bring that in here now to talk about the hiddenness of the kingdom. Remember, one of the definitions of the kingdom is where the king is. Well, guess who this man was talking to? The king. Right there. Do you understand? Right there. If he had reached out and touched Jesus... He would have touched the kingdom. Now, what that illustrates, okay, is this. You can be really, 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 really close to the kingdom and you can miss it. I'm not sure you could get any closer than the guy in Mark chapter 10. You can be sitting... The kingdom of God right now is all around you sitting in this auditorium right now. And you, you, you may be missing it. It is... You can be way close and miss it. Let, let me just show you exactly how close this guy got. Okay? Look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 10. So, Jesus and this, this man are having a conversation. And the conversation 
Though the, the phrase kingdom of God is not used, it's really about the kingdom of God. But now notice verse 21. Looking at him. That is, Jesus is looking at him. Now it's very interesting the word that is used right here. It is a word that means to stare at. I mean, it is, it is not just a cursory glance that's going on here. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and, and you, are, you know you're in eye contact? That's what's going on. Jesus, is, as it were, if, you, if you, you take this word that's used here by Mark in describing the event, it's as Jesus is as if, and I believe it is true, Jesus is looking into that man's soul. It would have been something of an unsettling moment because he was being laid open by the gaze of Christ, his creator. And he says he, he looked at him, but here's the, here's, the, here's the worth of the kingdom. And what, is, what does Mark tell us? Jesus, what? Felt a love for him. In that moment, this guy knew he was loved. Jesus is communicating to him. I love you. I know you. I see in you. And I love you. You can't get any closer than that. You can't. You cannot get any closer to the kingdom of God than standing before the king. And the king be communicating his love to you. It doesn't get any more real than that. But... Again, remember comparison and contrast? Ironically, what happens? He went away. He went away grieving. So close. See, that's how hidden it is. You can be right on it. But if you continue to read... Mark 10. You see what's obscure, what, what is obscuring his vision. Why can't he see its worth? Why can't he understand the worth of the love of Christ? He's got a lot of stuff. And that stuff may be material stuff. That stuff may be relational stuff. That stuff may be aspirations. That stuff may be desires. That we are unwilling to set aside. We esteem them. We value them. 
as being worth more than the rule of God, the rule of Christ in our lives. So what, how do we, how do we explain the difference between these two events? Why does one see it and another one doesn't? I'll submit to you that it's faith. It's a matter of faith. We don't believe it. We don't believe Matthew thirteen forty four is the X on the treasure map. Uh, recently, I saw a something of a documentary about some explorers who uh, believed they had found the pirate ship of the infamous Blackbeard, and they were. Exploring is in North Carolina, off the coast of North Carolina, and they're there. They've amassed a, a, a team and equipment there to go down and haul up artifacts from the ship. But you know what? They had to believe the historic record. See, there was a record in history that said that on an occasion that this man named Blackbeard was, he, he tried to run his ship into a inlet, a sound, off the coast of North Carolina to do some ship repair. And as it were, while he was there, a storm happened in and the ship sank. And so this crew of, of explorers read that historical record and guess what? They had to believe, didn't they? They had to believe what was written to then go out and spend all that money to rent that ship, to pay the crew, to go to a location on a map that over a ship that was covered by water. It doesn't look like there's anything down there. Yeah, but the record said this is what happened and this is where it happened. And they are being rewarded. They believe they have found it. There's another um, uh, Discovery Channel has done, uh, you, you may be familiar with Gold Rush. These are a group of guys who constantly sell everything that they've got to fund their gold explorations. They go down and up into Alaska, down into South America, and these guys are a bunch of yahoos. In fact, it's almost motivated me. To, if they can do that, I can do it. But the point is, is why are they why are they divesting themselves of everything that they've accumulated over the years to go out and buy this equipment and transport it to far reaches of the globe? You know why? 
Because they really believe that there is gold there. What's the same thing that we've got here? We've got a record right here. What you have in front of you, as I try to position it today, is a map. It is a record of a treasure that is worth more than, not just more than what any individual in here will ever own. If we amassed all of our collective wealth, the kingdom of God is worth more than all of that put together. But now here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you will flourish by saying no to self and yes to God's will? If you don't believe that, you're never going to go treasure hunting. If you never go treasure hunting, you're never going to find the kingdom. C.S. Lewis, on occasion, wrote these words. He said, He said, we are like children playing in the slum, making mud pies, who, when offered a holiday at the beach, refuse it because we don't believe such a place exists. You can imagine a child raised in an urban environment being that knows nothing but concrete and asphalt and dirt, being told of a pristine place of white sand beaches, turquoise water, cool breezes being blown. Man, that's a fairy tale. You've got to believe. And this is at the point at which I, there is nothing I can do. I cannot generate belief in your heart. But I do know one who can. I do know one who does. It's the king of this kingdom who's inviting you today into his kingdom to believe. He's inviting you today He's telling you, hey, you see where your finger is in your Bible? Verse 44, that is the X on the treasure map. Pursue it. And you will have joy 